today uh, live and also for those of you listening in afterwards. It always feels like such a great privilege and blessing uh, to share with my community every single time. <laughs> and um, as many of you may know, Dave and Deb have taken a week to just um, be away, get some rest, and have a little holiday. And so uh, they invited me to share with you today. And we're in the middle of a series that Dave and Deb have been doing um, throughout the season of Lent. And so I'm going to continue that today and um, just look at a passage that they've asked me to. And um, I, I don't know about you guys, but we had a rather interesting morning this morning. Uh, I went downstairs at one point and right around our hot water tank actually was a whole bunch of water and other uh, debris that I couldn't figure out what it was. And Brent went down and realized that our septic system was most likely overflowing. And so, <laughs> much to our dismay, uh, yes, that is what unfolded this morning at the Bilesma household. And so we um, called around, Brent did, called around to uh, many different places and eventually found a company that was willing to send a guy up with a truck, super nice guy who, as I was leaving today, was still pumping out our system. Thank goodness. <laughs> so it was quite the morning. Anyways, we are heading into a springtime here in Kamloops, finally at long last. And even though it's still chilly when that direct sun is not out, it has been so lovely to have some time um, outside where we're not all completely bundled up. And so my kids and I, and Brent and the kids and I on the weekends have been trying to make the most of that. And I imagine you guys are too. I may not be uh, super active in just following um, comments today um, during this live stream, um, but I welcome you to do so and I will certainly engage with them afterwards um, before I before I uh, started writing uh, this message to share with you today, I invited various people to share their thoughts and insights as well um, because this message for me felt a little bit uh, challenging and tangly and difficult. And it took me a while to sort of tease out what I felt like that God wanted to share with me and hopefully to share with you today as well. So uh, bear with me today. And why don't we take this opportunity and just uh, open up here in prayer. So here I am in Dave and Deb's house and I feel God um, just a deep sense of uh, God with us, that you are right here with me and you are present with us this afternoon as a community. And we invite you, Spirit of the living God, to breathe upon us um, in this time together. 
Come and breathe on my words, please, God. And breathe on the hearts of your people. Um, Breathe upon my own heart. Um, Open up my awareness and understanding, even as I speak and share today, I ask. Thank you so much for David and Debbie. We ask that you would bless them as they have these days uh, to just take some time to be with one another and resting. And we ask for your uh, great peace and joy to fill their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Dave and Deb have been um, in this process of Lent. They've been doing weekly communion. And so if you came prepared today to do so, we'll do that right near the very end. Um, I actually kind of forgot until I was driving up here and had to ask Andrew, Dave and Deb's son, if there were some crackers in the house. So I've got my water and cracker. (laughs) And we'll do that right at the very end. And it was also a time change today, wasn't it? Uh, So hopefully for most of you, you remembered and... Uh, if you wanted to join live, but that wasn't an issue today. I entitled my message, The Hard Way Through, Taking Up Our Cross and Following Jesus. In preparing for Easter, I have been considering the story of all stories, the story of Christ's journey to the cross, his death and his resurrection. And I've been doing that in part because I'm working on creating what I'm calling and what people have called Stations of the Cross, uh, which we are going to use as a means to remember this story and um, almost insert ourselves into the story um, and just learn together. And so I recently asked, I think on a video, was that yesterday that I posted, that you keep Easter Sunday, um, which I think is April 4th, open and available if at all possible because we would like to as a community um, walk through these stations and in this next week we'll be giving you details about what that looks like but I've been just preparing and thinking about um, these stations and thinking about the different parts of the story of Jesus's uh, journey to the cross and as I've been doing so, I've been sober, soberly reminded of the center, the very heart of what it means to be Christian. We are Christ followers, and I believe we are so in the most elemental and essential way when we take up our cross. Most of us are quite familiar with the passages in the Gospels in which Jesus explicitly instructs his disciples to do just this, such as the passage in Mark 8 where Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. I don't know about you, but I have always found these passages to be compelling, but esoteric in nature. What exactly does it mean to take up my cross? How do I hang on to my own life and thereby potentially lose it? What does giving up my life really look like? When I do give up my life, 
How is it saved? If this is the fulcrum of my faith, perhaps I should have a better handle on what it all really means. I posed these types of questions to some people within our community, as I mentioned. I also did some reading and praying, and what I have to share with you today are just the seeds of my thoughts. Uh, the kernels of wisdom that I gleaned from friends and family, and the beginnings of what may one day, I hope, be called comprehension or understanding. I'm not quite there yet, so I'm afraid you're getting a message that's very much in process internally for me. I think we spend our whole lives answering good questions. And I think Jesus always poses the very best. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I'm not sure that Jesus wants our answers to just simply be nothing or no. Nothing's worth more than my own soul. Rather, I think Jesus wants us to mine these questions uh, for all they're worth for the rest of our days. Perhaps we will catch glimmers of beauty and telltale signs of truth and wisps of wonder along the way as we do so. I don't know about you, but when I consider what my cross has been and what it might be now and what it may be perhaps down the road, I'm reminded of the profound blessing in my life and the relative lack of suffering that I have experienced. I sometimes sense inside myself almost like a borderline guilt about how I most certainly have not suffered anything much more than verbal barbs uh, which kind of harkens back to my school days, actually, when I think about it, and relational distancing from people um, when they haven't understood and when I've desired to follow the Jesus way. Uh, much less have I resisted to the point of shedding my blood, as Jesus did, in my journey as a believer. Perhaps it's helpful to frame my own lack of suffering in a different light. Perhaps my lack of suffering has less to do with my desire and willingness to follow Jesus and the ensuing repercussions in my life and with those around me as much as it has to do with one, God's grace and mercy, two, my own rich heritage that my parents passed along to me, three, my deep and wide community of people who support and encourage me, four, my privilege in living in a country that exercises religious tolerance. And lastly, perhaps five, my own practice of healthy living and process of inner healing. That said, I still wonder if I am somehow missing the mark in my pursuit when life feels a little too easy and I enjoy the abundance of goodness in so many aspects of my life. Fortunately, I have moments like this morning where life doesn't feel quite that easy. <laughs> oh. I balance this kind of wondering with my belief that Jesus never advocates suffering for suffering's sake. We never need to go out looking for crosses to bear. Don't worry. <laughs>
I'm just going to check in here quickly and make sure things are going well for you guys. Say another quick hello. <laughs> hello to Debbie and Andrea and Patty and Charity and Courtney and David and Debbie and Cheryl. Thanks guys for checking in and saying hi. That's helpful. <laughs> Karen, my dear friend Karen, shared some ideas about what taking up our cross is not. And I think she I think this is helpful. It's a helpful way to see much of the suffering that we often experience in our lives. She pointed out that we often sow poorly and we sometimes say that the harvest we reap is our cross to bear when really that cross is just the result of poor choices, sinful life patterns, and lack of surrender to God. She acknowledged that sometimes she brings a lot of stress and exhaustion into her own life um, because of her constant doing, which can sometimes be driven by her own lack of trust in God or trying to please others or that siren call of perfectionism that she sometimes heeds. She urged me to assign blame where blame is due by recognizing that 90% of our struggles are caused by areas in our lives that need healing, not even necessarily by the devil, and definitely not by God giving us crosses to bear unnecessarily. Some people generously shared their stories of crosses they feel they have borne. God crosses. Uh, and each one of us probably has a story or maybe many uh, to share. Barb shared about the most impactful event in her life. Her husband of 20 years walked away from her family, pursuing a much younger woman. She shared about years of pain that unfolded. And then she acknowledged God and others who walked alongside her in her journey of healing. She told me how she has learned how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. As James, in his book, urges his brothers and sisters to do in chapter 1, verse 19. She said she has learned to persevere. Danielle shared about a season when she returned to her teaching career shortly after she decided to follow Jesus. She served as a substitute teacher in an inner city school where very few were qualified, who were qualified for the job were willing to do so. There she encountered situations that caused her great dismay and distress. And often she would return home and tell Jim she just couldn't do this anymore. Jim would comfort and reassure her. She shares how the presence of God's Spirit in her life in this season was undeniable and that this enabled her to keep going. She relied on him daily as she learned to share in Christ's sufferings and also in the sufferings of his little ones. Colleen defined taking up our cross as an act of self-denial. When we follow Jesus, we intentionally give up our right to have what we want, when we want it, the way in which we want it. 
She says this is our daily and deliberate act of worship. This reminds me of Luke's gospel when Jesus sort of ups the ante by specifying that this aspect of our discipleship is not a one-time deal, but rather a perpetual working out of our salvation. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Eric agrees acknowledging that although it is not hard to say yes when we are experiencing the glory of God's presence, it is much more difficult to practice our yeses in daily life. He calls this practice, and Eric has all these great one-liners, doesn't he? Death on the installment program. When we deliberately choose God's will, God's way, daily. Then, he says, we worship. We don't ignore the pain of this choice or the cost of this choice, but we step into it and we offer lamentation, the highest form of praise. Eric suggests that when we die to our own way, Christ comes and fills that area of pain with his presence. Is that your story? Has Jesus done that for you? Many of you may be familiar with uh, a German Lutheran pastor and theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who was also a staunch resistor to the Nazi dictatorship. And he first published his book, The Cost of Discipleship, in 1937, which has become uh, a book, although I have not yet read it in full, it's become a book that we would call a modern classic of Christian thought about discipleship. His words, uh, when I first read them, just stopped me in my tracks. And I think that they are helpful today for us as we explore this topic. This is what he says. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man, and I would add woman, must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Martin Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. I think what struck me most about this passage was the timing of when one takes up one's cross. We often consider the cross to be the end of Christ's journey here on earth. And in some respects, this is of course true. 
But what if, like Barclay suggested to me, Jesus took up his cross at the moment of his birth? A beginning to his earthly life of 33 years, which I geeked out and did the math on, and it's a little over 12,000 days of daily choices to submit his own will to the will of his Father, doing only what he saw his Father doing and saying only what he heard his Father saying. I think like Christ then, the cross is the beginning of our communion with God. It's not the end or the crescendo in some ways as we have understood it to be, but rather the beginning of a lifestyle of submission to the will and the way of God. The cross is the invitation to be a part of the family of God. It's like it's our inauguration into the kingdom of God. It's our way of life as Jesus' followers. It's why Jesus tells his disciples they must take up their crosses and follow him long before he physically models this for them. As noted, mid-gospels in Mark 8, Luke 9, and Matthew 10. As Bonhoeffer says, thus it begins. The cross is the beginning and the middle and the end of our stories here on earth as we daily surrender ourselves to Christ and give over our lives to death. Well, this sounds a bit grim and dismal, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, this way of life, this union with Christ in his suffering and death, is counterintuitive for us as humans. And quite frankly, I think it's largely impossible without God's unceasing grace and daily mercy, as well as Christ's fathomless love and irresistible joy. If the disciples of Jesus at first failed to comprehend, much less practice this way of living by dying, we can rest assured we are in good company when we fail to do so without ever having lived in the physical company of Jesus. Perhaps more than any other disciple, I don't know about you, but I feel this way. I feel empathy and identification with Peter, the big-hearted and often misguided follower and fumbler of Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter passionately declares his willingness to die for Jesus without really understanding at all the true cost of a cross-carrying life. I want to read you this passage from Matthew 26. On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, 
you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. A little while later, Rada's uh, Judas comes into the story, <laughs> comes up and gives Jesus a kiss. Jesus says to him, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus, namely Peter, pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus had repeatedly warned his disciples about the particularities of his death as well as his resurrection. It's phenomenal, really, actually, if you go back and look at all the Gospels and see how many times he talks about it. He even tells them where he will meet them afterwards. He spells out for Peter in detail how he will fail within the next day. Peter still cannot comprehend how his own understanding of Christ's purpose and future as well as the limitations of his own fealty and courage are so skewed, so faulty, and so human. My mom was sharing with me this past week about how important it is for us to hold the future lightly. She said, Peter was willing to die for Christ, but he wasn't willing to let Christ die for him. Whoa, stop and think about that for a minute. Our own perceptions of what is right, what should be, how we should proceed, and even what Christ should do are most likely imperfect at best and sometimes deeply flawed at worst. Peter, along with every other disciple, could not grasp how the cross fit into Christ's future, and certainly they didn't in terms of their own futures. Even as we struggle to follow what we believe to be God's will, we can be derailed by our simply human propensity to find any other way but the way of the cross to get to where we think we need to go. Patty said it like this, 
I start out following what I'm quite certain after prayer and reflection is God's will. And then I become self-absorbed or over-consumed and I take my will back again. Rather than bearing a cross in the biblical sense, I, I might play the martyr or do things for the wrong reasons. None of us have any idea what she's talking about, do we? I certainly do. Oh my goodness. There is so much to mine here in this story of Peter and Jesus. But for today, I want to share some phrases that I believe God gave me while pondering these things. Jesus always chooses the hard way through rather than the easy way out or the wrong way around. What is right in front of him. There is only one way to life, and that is by death, paradoxically. We all desire resurrection. We desire healing, restoration, happiness, wholeness, health. But we often try to get there by almost any other means than the only way there, which is by death, by letting go, staying still, trusting, sacrificing, forgiving, sharing, honoring, keeping our mouths closed and our hearts open. In this story, Peter first tries the wrong way around. He has a sword and he uses it. Death by violence rather than death by submission. Jesus counters as he says to Judas, go ahead and do what you have come for. When violence fails, Peter opts out by doing the very thing he promised he wouldn't do less than a day ago. He deserts Jesus. Death by fear rather than death by faith. Jesus counters, your will be done, God. We witness this profound ability on Jesus' part to inherently trust God and choose the hard way through the future, through to the future that is ahead of him. When I think about the crosses in my life, I invariably think of situations where I have struggled to choose the hard way through to the other side of relational challenges. I remember one instance in my life uh, a while ago um, where two people in my life that I highly regarded disagreed with one another and their friendship was irreparably ruptured. I felt caught in the middle as I loved and respected both people. Each one told a different story. Where was the truth? How should I proceed? It would have been relatively easy to bury my head in the sand, so to speak, and stay mired in my own fear of facing either friend directly by trying to walk out truth and love. 
Or I could have taken one side or another and assumed offenses that weren't really mine to carry. Fortunately, in this situation, I chose to directly approach each person with the other's story. And when I couldn't make headway then, I chose to believe the truth lay somewhere in the middle and to peaceably continue to walk alongside each friend. This was my hard way through, rather than my easy way out or my wrong way around. I think Eugene Peterson captured our calling to the hard way through well in his rendering of the first few verses of 1 Peter 4. Listen to this. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. We don't often think of what we want, when we want, and how we want it as a form of tyranny. But perhaps it's actually imperative to do so in order to deliberately choose the hard way through life, the way of death to life, the way to wean ourselves from our habits that don't really help us. The really good news is that God is working in us, giving us both the desire and the power to do what pleases Him, as Philippians 2.13 states. And we get our whole lives to practice. (laughs) We're going to get it wrong, often and unequivocally so. We're going to get it wrong even when wise people tell us exactly how to get it right or what will happen what will happen to us if we choose the easy way out or the wrong way around but the more we practice and the more we allow God's desires inside us and God's power inside us to propel us the more often we will begin to choose the hard way through taking up our cross and following him Maybe, just maybe, this will lead to our physical suffering and even death one day. We don't know. If it does, may we have practiced enough to be ready for that kind of challenge, that kind of choice. I'm just going to do a little check-in here before I continue. Give me a moment here, folks. Thank you so much. I'm just going to do a little check-in here. Okay. You know that nearly every disciple of Jesus followed his example and died by martyrdom. Peter, our good friend Peter, (laughs) considering himself unworthy of a death like Christ, compelled Nero's cronies to hang him upside down on a cross 
after being imprisoned in Rome. Just a few years earlier, Paul had been beheaded by Nero in Rome as well. Mark was bound and dragged through the streets of Alexandria by a team of horses and died. Luke was hung in Greece. Matthew was killed by a sword. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was stabbed to death by a spear. Jude was killed by arrows. James was beheaded. Philip was beheaded too. The other James was thrown from a temple and beaten to death by a club. Simon was sawn in half. John was the only disciple of the original 12 who didn't suffer martyrdom for following Jesus. And Bonhoeffer was arrested in April of 1943 by the Gestapo, imprisoned for a year and a half, and then transferred to a camp where he was executed by hanging on April 9th, 1945. Disciples of Jesus continue to suffer and sometimes die all over the world. Every day, eight Christians are killed because of their faith in Jesus. Every week, 182 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every month, 309 Christians are imprisoned unjustly. Statistically, the country that persecutes Christians the most is North Korea. The country with the most physical violence demonstrated towards Christians is Pakistan. And the country most politically aggressive against Christian churches is China. Nigeria ranks number one in terms of Christian martyrs, and that number in 2020 was 1,350. I think it's important in some respects that we remember those in our world living and dying today for the sake of Jesus, and that we are inspired and compelled to follow them, whether or not we ourselves have to face that form of persecution. Every Jesus follower, in some way, shape, or form, must take up his or her own cross in order to truly follow Jesus. As my sister reminded me just a few days ago, the propulsion that enables us to choose the hard way through and enables us to deny the easy way out or the wrong way around is always love. And also the abiding joy that love spawns inside our hearts. May we ever look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured his cross. May we endure our crosses as well. And when we don't manage to do so today, may we try again tomorrow. May we practice. May this be our daily and deliberate act of worship. This message is so countercultural in many respects, isn't it? And I think we balance it out, of course, by understanding that 
God cares deeply about us. He cares about us caring about ourselves and loving ourselves well as we love him well, as we love others well. But I do think we need to be reminded that as we deliberately and intentionally choose the hard way through whatever lies before us, and as we trust in Jesus to do so, uh, that it will be hard. There will be suffering involved in some respect, but that that is what our call is to do as followers of Jesus. I want to finish today by sharing a prayer by a South African Methodist reverend named Jean Vandelaar. And if you want, um, let's do so while we take time. Um, if you, for those of you who have prepared uh, something to eat and something to drink in this act of communion together. Um, so I'm just going to hold these here, my little Breton cracker and water, <laughs> while I read this prayer. It is too easy, God, for faith to become an escape, a way to avoid the pain of being human and alive, or a path to success, a way to persuade the universe to give us the things we want, or a system of control, a way to bend others to our will. But the faith you offer is different, Jesus, more dangerous and compelling. It's the faith that carries the cross, that embraces death and lays itself down for the sake of others. It's the only faith that can lead us to resurrection, to life renewed and overflowing. We praise you for this faith, God, and open our hearts to receive it. Jesus, as we think about your body broken for us, your heart broken for us, and yet your willingness um, to do so for us, I think our only response is gratitude. May we also allow ourselves to be broken to pour out our lives for others, to carry the cross that you give us as we walk through, we go the hard way towards the way of life, the path of death to life. Thank you.
I think we often think of the cross as a very solitary endeavor of carrying our crosses. And I was reminded when I was thinking of all this this week um, that even Jesus had help carrying his cross. Simon had to help him carry it. And there are crosses that we have that we are blessed to have others come alongside and help us carry. And I just want to take this moment and honor each one of us, honor your steadfast faith, especially in this pandemic season when life can feel very solitary. Um, and just honor your perseverance. Barb used language such as this, I walked through the valley of tears with Jesus and came out on the other side. I think so many people's stories about carrying crosses is about that act of persevering, stepping through, continuing. And we only are able to do so, of course, because of the great help that our Comforter gives to us, the Holy Spirit, and also the great help that we receive from others around us. And so I feel profoundly thankful, not only for Jesus modeling this for us, and then allowing His Spirit to come and be inside us, and enabling us to do so as well, but also for the beautiful presence of God in so many people around me and around us in our community who come alongside us and help us. And this enables us to continue, doesn't it? Yeah. I think I'm going to finish there. I really thank all of you um, who've been listening in along the way and those listening in after. Um, I always think to myself, I'm in the presence of spiritual giants in our own community and certainly in our broader vineyard community. I feel that too. And uh, it's, it's such a blessing to get to walk daily life alongside um, those of you here in Kamloops and um, and to just share in life's joys and sorrows and in the uh, this process of walking out our life and beginning to understand and comprehend the Jesus way, the way of the cross. Pre please be blessed as you continue on with your day. Dave and Deb will be sharing with us again this next Sunday. And Brent and I will be leading worship, simply worship on Wednesday evening. So we'll see you then. Talk to you soon.